When the world has got you down Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal, love. This is Love Conquers Alls, a real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here are your hosts, Susie Singer-Carter and me, Don Priest. Hello, everybody. My name is Susie Singer-Carter. And I am Don Priest, and this is... Love Conquers Alls. Alls. <laughs> How is everybody doing? Thank you for coming and joining us again in our second season, episode whatever this is. It's a lot. We're doing yeah. a lot. And Don has come in. As you know, you met him hopefully already. If not, this is Don Priest, and he's a, our new host, my co-host. and <laughs> My lady. My, thank you, my <laughs> sir, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> That's not a thing. I just made it up. It's fine. Yeah, it's great. It'll catch on. Yeah, it's Trendy. It's trending already. It's already yeah. trending on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, it's still still COVID and um, something else. Something else special happened today. Wow. Well, today, uh, our future hopefully changed. And uh, whether yeah. you want it to change or not, it still did. And yeah. we're kind of happy about that. I think there will be champagne later. Champagne is going to flow this evening. We're going yeah. to celebrate a new president, a new shift in everything, and hopefully that's going to, uh, you know. A kinder, of, more loving world. Yes. And yes. flow flow into maybe our world of caregiving and, um, uh, and entertainment. Entertainment and caregiving. It's, it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, uh, you know. Par for the course, Donald, as yes. you might know, and you're getting used to it now. We have a, a, a very, very special guest and um, it's kind of a, a bit scary because she's very, very knowledgeable in financing. Wow. Which is, which is the, I hate the whole thing, the F word. <laughs> I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, because it means you have to have like, you know, uh, like. Budgets and things. Yeah, but, oh, oh, yeah. that's the B word, isn't it? Yeah, you like a budget, I don't. I don't like a budget. You like a budget. I don't like a budget. You like a budget. I don't, I don't I like a budget. budget. I hate a I, budget. No. Why do you think I like a budget? I don't know. I feel like you I feel like you do. I feel like you don't like you're not a uh, you're not a spendaholic like I am. Spend thrift, if you will. I have to admit it's one of my downfalls, but what? What? It's crazy talk. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking anyway, about. Anyway, let, let's get back to like this. Maybe I can learn pick up something, but <laughs> Our guest today is a lovely woman named Cameron Huddleston and Donald. Well, you know, Cameron, you, you may not have known this, and but but she is. She's an award-winning journalist. She's yeah. been around for nearly 20 years of experience in writing about personal finance. Her work has appeared in Forbes, Kiplinger's uh, Personal Finance, MSN, Yahoo, and fancy. so many, many more print Very and fancy. online publications. Too many to mention. She's Too fancy many. and sophisticated and smart. Yeah. She's pretty what else smart has she done? Too. What she's, else? Tell us. She's pretty smart. I like a girl that's pretty smart. You know, I like that. I think it's great. And the reason why we are having her on Love Conquers Alls today is because um, Cameron wrote a book about her own experience in caregiving for her mother. And it's called Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk. And it's how to have an essential conversations with your parents about their finances, which is a book I, I really wish I had 
five years ago when I was struggling with my mom and, and the whole thing. This is such an important topic, you guys, because I had a horrendous experience with the whole finance end of my mom's caregiving and um it it was brutal so i i say listen up take notes because i'm telling you it it is so so important and um what i'm thinking is we should probably bring her on that's what i'm thinking i think that too so without further ado we'd like to welcome Cameron Huddleston. Hello, Cameron. Hello. I was just laughing at you guys <laughs> as you were introducing me, um, especially you, Susie. I'm like, oh, budget, budget is so bad. Let me, let me, let me first introduce you to a term. It's called spending plan. What? Okay? It's plan. a new way to think about a budget because a budget feels like a diet, right? Oh, totally. A- Spending plan, you figure out where you want your money to go, and you can give yourself permission to buy those things you want, as long as you're covering the other things that you need. So, See, this is beautiful. You are you are spending plan. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I really mean this, though. I, I really needed you so bad, like uh, back when, and I'm so excited to have you on, and in all seriousness, because... This is such an important topic, and and I was so sucker punched when when you know I, I took on the caregiving as my for my mother and found out that I had no control over her finances. So I would love to, you know, just sort of get into. But first, I want to find out how did you switch from not from but but take your expertise in financing and you know apply it to your caregiving. What how did how did this all start? Like, what's your background? Well, so I have, I've been a journalist all my life and I've been writing about personal finance, as you said, for the past 20 years. And here's what's interesting, even though uh, I'm not sure I would entirely call myself an expert, but I do know a lot about personal finance just because I've been writing about it for so long. I, uh, I did not have any conversations with my mom about her finances before she started having issues with her memory didn't even think about having those sort of conversations. And I look back and I'm like, why didn't it dawn on me? Because we're so busy with our own lives and we're not thinking about our parents and the fact that there's a good chance someday we're going to have to get involved with their financial lives. And I had opportunities and it wasn't that I was afraid to have the conversation, which I know a lot of people are, because it's really awkward. I mean, talking to your parents about money, I mean, that's that's almost worse than the birds and the bees conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. And especially from a certain generation, it was right. it's just not, it's taboo. And you were taught probably not to talk about money. Exactly. I mean, that's the way it was in my house. Oh, my dad always said, well, don't talk about money. It's impolite. Right. So, exactly. we, so we did it. Um, and then when my mom was starting to show signs of memory loss, suddenly it dawned on me, oh my gosh, I've got to do something. I've got to get involved. I have to take action. So the first thing we did is meet with an attorney to update her legal documents. Because I'm a financial journalist, I knew that was necessary. I knew it was the important first step and she agreed. And I'm grateful because she didn't push back. And then we kind of went from there. But I tell you, because we, not, we did not have those detailed conversations, I had to play detective. Mm. Figure out a lot of things along the way. I mean, there was an account that I didn't even know existed with fifty thousand dollars in it, and it was almost turned over to the state as an unclaimed asset. 
And I realized as I was going along this journey that people out there don't have to figure this out on their own. I wanted to share my experience, what I knew about personal finance, all my access to a lot of you know, really smart financial experts I interviewed for my book so that people like you, Susie, wouldn't have to find out too late about those things that you should have done before your mom's Alzheimer's diagnosis. And, you know, I know a lot of people might never have a parent who develops dementia or Alzheimer's, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just aging. Maybe it's, you know, an injury that makes you get involved with your parents' finances. Maybe it's the coronavirus. You know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and I know a lot of adult children are really worried about their parents. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe you don't even get involved while they're living, but when your parents die, you're going to have to deal with what's left behind. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any information about what sort of assets they have, you're going to have to figure it out and you're going to be grieving. If you know this, if you know your parents' wishes are in writing, if you know there's a will or a trust it just makes that process a lot easier. So I'm trying to make things easier for people. Oh my God, it, you, it, it's amazing because if, if you wait too long, you're in an emotional state when, you're, when you have to take over for someone who is losing their cognitive ability or they're ill or it's a physical illness, whatever it is, you're, the last thing you want to do is concentrate on those kinds of details because you're, you're, you're in survival mode. You're in triage for, you know, and for, with people with Alzheimer's, it can last a really long time, a very long time. And, and that's the thing is that we don't know, like my mom still has Alzheimer's. It's 15 years. And so I'm very fortunate because she did deplete all of her savings and because it's expensive to take care up, you know, to take care when you have dementia or Alzheimer's for that long. It's a very expensive disease. And, um, you know, I was fortunate that she was taken into the Jewish home in Los Angeles. If not that, she would be in a state-run facility and probably not for long. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the whole benefit of having these conversations before your parents need help because you have time to plan and you have more options. I mean, if your parents are still in their 50s, 60s, and they're still healthy, guess what? They can apply for long-term care insurance or a life insurance policy with a long-term care benefit that's going to help pay for that long-term care that they will likely end up needing. If you don't have it, I think a lot of people don't realize this, Medicare doesn't pay for it. Mm-hmm. Medicaid will, but it's got to be in a Medicaid approved facility. Like what you were saying, you know, Susie, with your mom, she would have been in a state facility and maybe that's not where you want your parent to be. No. And no. you don't have much of a choice. So these conversations give you and your parents a choice. They let you be prepared. They let you have those legal documents in place. So it's easy to step in and start helping your parents with their finances as they're forgetting things because otherwise you end up in the court system. A hundred percent. I did end up in the court system too. And that's a whole topic right there because that you do not want to end up in a court system. It's, it's part of my reason for becoming an advocate because it, it's, it's a broken system. It's a broken <laughs> system. I don't even know if it ever was not broken. Well, fixed. I, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's just not, you know, it's no one's paying atten- that much attention. And, you know, there's a lot of, 
financial abuse that goes on within the court systems and and some some legal rep, representation. It's just so much to think about in that term, you know, and you just don't want to end up there because I did and I ended up having to just stop and cut my losses and walk away and just say, this is what I've got and this is what we're going to deal with. And we're going to, I'm going to make the, the best, make her life as best as I can with whatever we have, whatever resources we have, and then, you know, go from there. But that, I don't wish that on anybody except maybe the lawyer that I worked with. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother, the lawyer, the lawyer situation in that whole, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of sharks and vipers out there who are right? I mean, literally you, just looking to, to line their pockets. And is that something so you can talk about? So I know a little, um, and, and I guess we can kind of back it up and explain to your listeners, um, you know, what can happen. So, you know, for people maybe who are in a situation where a parent is in the early stages of Alzheimer's or they're just starting to show signs of memory loss, or maybe they just got that diagnosis, here's something important to keep in mind. It's not necessarily too late to meet with an attorney and have a power of attorney document drafted. Just because someone has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's does not mean that they are no longer competent enough to sign that document. Now, granted, it's much better to do it while you're still mentally sound, while there is no sort of issue with your memory, your cognitive ability. So these conversations need to happen while your parents are young and healthy so that there's no question about their mental soundness when they sign these documents. That power of attorney document is so important. The power of attorney lets you name someone to make financial and legal decisions for you. So if your parent develops dementia and you've got to go and um, talk to their bank or sign some checks for them, you can't unless you've already been named power of attorney. You have the document. You can show it to the bank and the bank now has it on file that you were the power of attorney. Right. If you don't have that designation and now mom is, you know, she doesn't know what day it is. She's having a lot more trouble with her memory. She can't, you know, she's no longer competent enough to sign that document. Then you have to go through the conservatorship process where you go to court and you're trying to prove that your parent is no longer competent. Mm -hmm. You're trying to prove that you are the right person for the job to manage your parents' finances. Mm -hmm. It can involve background checks and you can, you know, they're going to send you through a lengthy interview process. You have to hire an attorney for yourself. You might have to hire an attorney from your parent. It can take several months. It can cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And at the end of the day, if you're lucky, the court names you the conservator. Right. And then every year you had to file a report with the court system explaining how you spent your parents' money. If you're not lucky, you're not named conservator. And maybe someone else is. Maybe there's a court-appointed court conservator. And you're the caregiver now, and you can't access your parents' funds to make sure you can pay for their care. You've got to go through someone else. Mm-hmm. And what a hassle. I mean, it's so hard just being a caregiver, but if you can't get access to the money that you need to provide the care for your loved one, it just adds this whole other layer of complication. And by having these conversations sooner rather than later, you can make sure that power of attorney is in place. You can make sure the healthcare power of attorney is in place so you can make healthcare decisions for your parent. You can make sure that there is a living will so that you know what sort of end of life 
medical treatment they do or do not want. And it's just one less thing to worry about. Yeah. There's a lot to worry about when you're a kid. Listen to this woman. I'm telling you, <laughs> she knows. I mean, I, I, I really feel so passionate about this because everything you're saying, every mistake along the way I made. And, um, you know, I know in your book you talk about, because one of the, one of the I, well, well, I'll go back to that. But one of the things you talk about is like, you know, siblings and family and, and making sure everybody's on the same page. And, you know, I, of course, I have an older brother. I didn't think of that at all. All I kept, you know, I'm, I'm the emotional girl. And I was like, I'll take care of mom. I'm going to find the best place. She's going to live with me for a year. Da, 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 da. And, you know, I, I didn't re- really think at all about her financial situation. I knew that she had separate wills from my from my stepfather, which they both wanted it that way because they, it was a second marriage for them, and that's the way they wanted it. And you know, I, I just didn't overlook it, and I trusted too much. And you know, the 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 problem is is that money can bring out either the best in people or the worst in people. <laughs> and um, mine was the latter. And so I lost control of anything of my mom. I became the conservator person and I had no control over her finances. And so like you were saying, that is not a good place to be in because you're taking care of their well-being on a day-to-day basis. And if you can't budget for them, then you don't know how, what you have to, to care for them you know, and, and you're at the whim of somebody else that's not, doesn't really know what they need. And you ended up in literally, I mean, very small part of it in court, just to even try to find out how much money was there. What's the, what, what do we have available to to take care of her properly? And, and it was the most, it was the biggest runaround ever. She still never found out until the money was gone. All of a sudden it was, you know, I never had standing. You can't get stand. I didn't have standing as a conservator person, and I went in three times. And the lawyer that took me in, she assured me I had standing. I never had standing, and my mother's money was getting drained from my brother, and you know who hired a lawyer. I don't know why he did because I wasn't trying to fight for her money. I was trying to fight for her, and I I would have take I would have been happily taken a court appointed, you know, a, a fiduciary because then I knew. It, everything was on the up and up, mm-hmm. but I couldn't even get that. Yeah. Going. And if you needed her nails clipped, you didn't have to, you know, fight to get for the $20 to get her nails clipped, you know, things like that. <laughs> I'm telling you folks, it can happen. If you have a, if you have a, a family that isn't contentious, you're so lucky, but it does happen. And, and you have to, you have to kind of prepare for it. Cause you, you really don't know until you're in that situation, how people are going to respond. Am I right? I, I, yes. And, and unfortunately this ha- the, your situation is not unusual. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's happening with every family, but there are plenty of families where there are disagreements among the siblings, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to money and how the money is handled. I mean, I've heard stories about, you know, there's the primary caregiver and the other sibling is, you know, taking no role in that hands-on caregiving, but they're complaining about how the money is <laughs> being spent and saying, well, you're, you're blowing my inheritance, spending all this money mm-hmm. on a facility for mom. Well, of course, because <laughs> you want your parents to get the best and, you know. A hundred percent. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. My brother was like, I, there's a place out here in Chino. It's like, you know, $2,000 a year. It's like, what are you talking about? You don't even know 
what she needs. Another one of the benefits of having these conversations sooner, I know some parents are very reluctant to hand over that power, that power of attorney, because they're thinking, wow, you can just go in and start making decisions with my money. Well, not necessarily. Um, it is best to have what's called a general durable power of attorney, which goes into effect immediately so that you don't have to jump over a bunch of hurdles, like mm-hmm. getting a doctor to, you know, write a written statement that your parent is no longer competent. If your parents are concerned about giving over that control, just let them know, look, I don't have any control until I have the document. The bank is not going to take my word for it. Put it someplace safe and tell me how and when I can access it. But mom and dad, the thing is, if you are creating this document and you're signing it now, you still have power. You have power to choose who's going to make this decision for mm-hmm. you. If this document doesn't exist and something happens, then we have to go to court and hash it out. And someone might be given power to make decisions about your finances whom you don't want having that power. Yep. Yeah. So 100%. Uh-huh. And that's the argument that you can make with your parents to persuade them that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Yes. And, and be, and no, I'm sorry, Don, to cut you off. I was just going to say, I'm so passionate about this. It's just, if you, I didn't even think about it. So I'm, I'm my cautionary tale is think about it. Even if your parents are just young and happy and healthy, and you don't even want to think about it, think about it now while they are still happy. And, and, and cause when, what happened to me was that my brother had them sign a, a living trust together when, and so, and, and over, which, oh, which, uh, Voided out, superseded their their um, will, the living the will that my mom had, and also I didn't even know she made us both power of attorney. I didn't know that, so he had her sign while she still while she had Alzheimer's, and that's what I wanted to bring into court. So if you think you're protected because something was signed while they were not in their right mind, it's not that easy to prove that. It's not. It. I mean, you don't. It's still, that's the problem with our court system is that, you know, it's, it's on the vulnerable to prove that, you know, and so they don't want to change whoever has the money because they're afraid to make changes. And yeah, and one of the hallmarks of, of Alzheimer's or dementia is become some paranoia too. And so how do you, are there magic words that you, how do you deal with that when they're saying all they're thinking is you want my money you want to you you know that's all you want me for here is so you can have my money what do you do about that are you are you mimicking my mom (laughs) (laughs) yes actually (laughs) you know because it's it's true like even if you've had these conversations ahead of time and you know there are things in place you can run into that as your parents ability to think clearly declines and you are having to get involved because you know they can't make smart financial decisions anymore, but now they're, they're paranoid and they think that you're taking them, your, their money. Um, you know, two things that are really important. As you probably know, there are certain times of day when someone who has Alzheimer's is functioning better, typically earlier in the day. If you're going to wait until the end of the day, then you're going to run into more issues you know, they, they might become more paranoid. They're more tired at that point of the day. They're not thinking as rationally as they might be at other times of the day. The key though, is to make it all about them. I want to be able to help you. I want to look out for your best interest. 
you should never say me, like as in do this for me. I want to get, you know, I need to know what's on your will. So I know what I'm getting. It's like, (laughs) I need to know what your wishes are so that I can follow them. I need to make sure that you have this document so that I can help you this power of attorney so that I can help you. If you ever need help, I need you to have this healthcare proxy so that I can be your voice for you. If something happens to you and you're in the hospital, you want to let them know that you are looking out for their best interest. You're their advocate. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing they need. Everyone needs an advocate when you're, you know, vulnerable. So they, you know, you want to, be, you want to be put in the best position so that you can advocate best for them. And that's, that's really great advice. And a lot of also is, you know, they're also worried about losing their independence, their dignity, everything, you know, it's like, wait, I can't, I, you're not allowing me to spend my own money anymore. You want to control. And, and especially things like, I mean, I was, my dad had dementia and we didn't, when it was early, we didn't really know until one day we, you know, we went into his, closet and found just boxes and boxes and boxes of stamps and gold coins and anything you could buy from a, from a TV guide or a magazine. <laughs> Every, and we're like, and it was a Wait, lot. Did you say TV guide? That's like, <laughs> no, at the time he had a TV guide, <laughs> but Does anybody you know, know what a TV guide is and, he, <laughs> and we didn't know, he, you know, we thought it was a great investment and, you know, and suddenly we're like a dad, you now he was very reasonable. He was like, you know, when it was, when we told him it was time to stop driving, he was like, okay. I mean, he was really reasonable, but there's people who are like, is it, is it a good idea to give them like some sort of like, here's a check, like an account, set up an account with a little bit of money that they can still write a check on. Is there, is that a something that's a suggested? Yes. Yes. So if you're worried that your parent is going to spend all of his or her money on the book of the month club or the gold coins or whatever, every phone call that they're getting and, you know, giving them the credit card number or writing the check, which is what my mom did. A couple of different things you can do. So if you live in the same town with your parents, monitor their mail and let them know you're doing this because again, you want to help them. Hey mom, you know, let me help you go through your mail just so I can get rid of all the junk and you don't have to worry about it. Like I always say, it's one less thing for you to have to worry about. Let me help you do this. So I did this with my mom because she was writing checks to every organization that was asking her for mm. money. Yes. Some were legitimate, some were not. And I knew that had to stop. So I'd go through her mail and keep all the junk mail that helped limit it. Um, you know, what you could possibly do is say, Hey, let's, let's set up an, let's set up online banking for you. So maybe they're not doing that. Maybe they're still writing checks and you can use that as an opportunity to here. I'm going to help you set this up. Now you have the username and the password. Now you can monitor how they're spending. What you could do is actually create a brand new bank account and make sure there's only a small amount of money in there, just enough for some spending money or just enough to, to cover the bills or whatever. Maybe you've got a separate account that where all the bills or, you know, all the money's coming out of those accounts to pay the bills and they have their, their slush fund. Their fun money. Their fun money. Yes. So that, or you get a prepaid debit card. Hey, use this anytime you need to go to the store or get something. And it has a limited amount of money on it so right. that they're not overspending. I mean, this is going to sound a little bit, conniving, but it might be something you have to do. 
if you have a parent who has a lot of credit cards in their wallet, their purse, it might get to a point where maybe you, if they're not willing to part with those credit cards, hey, maybe it's a good idea to take a few out just to keep you safe in case you, you lose them. If they're unwilling to do it and you know that it's a risk that they have all these credit cards, you know, maybe, and I hate to say this, I mean, it's, it's like, it's going to sound underhanded, but, you know, sometime go into the wallet and take them all out except one so that they're not getting themselves into trouble financially. And this is what, I mean, this is something obviously you're doing with a parent with dementia. If you've got a parent who has their wits about them, they're just making bad financial decisions. <laughs> you know, you can't, you don't have the right necessarily to go in and do that. They are adults. They can make their own decisions. But when you have a parent who is no longer competent enough to make those decisions and who can become a victim of fraud, who can lose those credit cards, who can write a check to every organization, you do have to get involved unless you want your parents to be taken advantage of and lose all their money. Totally. That, that's a good segue because there are so many scams out there. What should we be looking out for for our parents? <laughs> there, are so, there are so many scams and it is especially challenging when you have a parent who has Alzheimer's because you can tell them one day what to watch out for, but then they're going to forget it the next. Right. And so you have to be so diligent. Obviously, if your parent is still doing pretty well mentally, it's a great way to start a financial conversation with your parents. Hey, I just got a call the other day from someone claiming to be from the IRS and they said I owed back taxes and if I don't pay them, they're going to haul me off to jail unless I wire some money. You know what, mom, did you know this? This is a scam. So you can even use yourself as an example. Talk about a call that you got or an email you got or a text you got and say, hey, these are some of the red flags of scams that request to wire money, claiming to be from a government agency, um, a high pressure sales tactic, someone claiming to be your grandchild and needing some money really, right. really fast. So alert them to those red flags. But of course, as your parents' memory declines, they're not going to remember those conversations. So that's exactly. when having that prepaid debit card, monitoring their bank accounts online so you can see what's happening behind the scenes, um, checking their mail, taking away those credit cards, mm -hmm. and you know, just again and again, warning them. I mean, day after day, if you have to. And of course, making sure there's someone there to keep an eye on your parent. If yeah. you're not there having a caregiver, another family member, a friend, because my mother, while she was still living alone, got a call one day from someone saying she had won a sweepstakes and she had to send in cash to get the prize. Of course. So, I mean, most of us would say, what? I'm not going to pay cash to win a prize <laughs> for a sweepstakes I never even yeah. entered. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So she calls my uncle and then my uncle calls me and he says, I think your mom is being scammed. Someone wants her to wire money to claim a sweepstakes. So I rush over to her house. The guy's still calling. She's convinced that she's won. So I'm answering the phone every single time. I'm trying to block the number. It doesn't help. The guy is calling. He's relentless. I'm hanging up. Oh and I God. sat with her the whole day so that this guy could not get her on the phone and take advantage of her. It's like that movie, Nebraska. It was, it's heartbreaking. And it's exactly what you're talking about. When my mom first got Alzheimer's, unless you knew her, you didn't, you wouldn't really suspect something was wrong. 
And when she was diagnosed and when I ended up moving her into my home and I had to pack her up, I found four, five pairs of the same pants from Chico's with the same, with, with tags still on them. And because my mom would go back and she's very consistent and go, oh, I love those pants. Let me try those on. Those are great. Bring those up. And not knowing that she had four others at home. And I think that, you know, maybe it, maybe if you're suspecting that your parent is starting to exhibit signs that maybe you want to, if she does, you know, have regular outings that she goes, that you, you let people know, I think my mom is, you know, because, because you, they, people don't know, or they do know, and they're taking advantage. Either way, it's good for you to step in at that point. You know, I think you brought up a really good point, though, about how hard it is in the beginning to, like, like you said, hey, mom, I think you need a memory test. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest thing for me. Like talking to my mom about her finances, I wasn't afraid of having that conversation. But by having that conversation, it would have meant saying, mom, we need to have this conversation because I think you're starting to forget things. And I didn't want to be the one to tell her that she was losing her memory. And, and this is something that people can do if they are struggling to have the financial conversation, if they're struggling to talk to their parents about their worries about their memory, get a third party involved. I reached out to my mom's doctor her family doctor. And I said, listen, the next time my mom was in, in there for an appointment, just a checkup, please encourage her to get her memory checked. And he did, he did that for me. And she had a test. And unfortunately, I don't know if it's unfortunately, like she met with a neurologist and took a test and then said she was fine. And either she lied to me about it or the neurologist didn't do a good job of testing her. And then fortunately, another one of her friends a few months later, encouraged her to go see another neurologist. Aww. So twice I had a third party helping me out. Mm -hmm. And this can work well because parents sometimes will be reluctant to talk to their kids, especially about their finances, but they might be willing to take the advice of a friend or a peer, a peer, right? A professional who says you should have this conversation with your kid or the doctor who's saying, I think you should get your memory checked out or the friend who's saying you should do it. Um, just because maybe you can't start the conversation, it's okay to get someone else involved to help you out. Right. What if you're in the, where basically, yes, you know, they're in that state, but they're not far advanced and you're trying to get all of their finances to, you know, everything. What if they just refuse, flat out refuse to let you help them, but you know, if you don't, it's disaster. Right. What are your options? So you can, first of all, not give up. Keep trying because maybe today dad's in a really bad mood and doesn't want to hear any of it and doesn't want to have to turn over control. But maybe next week he's having a better day and you suggest a different way that you can get involved. Not, hey, dad, I need to help you with your finances because you just got that Alzheimer's diagnosis, but hey, dad, you know, have you ever thought about online bill payment? This will make things so much easier. It's one less thing to worry about. Make it a win-win, a mm -hmm. win for your parent by offering to help in some way and a win for you because you've just gotten a little access, a glimpse into their financial situation. 
Let me help you with your mail. Let me sort the junk mail. Um, would you like for me to set up an appointment with you for an accountant so that you can get your taxes ready this year? Or would you like me to help you gather all your tax documents? Because that those tax documents, that's going to give you a lot of very valuable information about Absolutely. Well. Yeah. yeah. It, it gets overwhelming, all those tasks, when your memory's not good. So if you offer to help, that I think that's, that would be a welcome relief. And that's kind of the easier way to do it because mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like you're trying to take over. Right. Trying to take away their independence. I mean, of course, there's still going to be some parents who push back no matter what. I don't need your help. I'm doing just fine. I don't need online bill payment. I can write a check. You know, and sometimes there's only so much you can do. And sometimes it does get to the point where the parent has drained the bank account. And sometimes it takes getting to that point for the parent to say, oh my gosh, I do need help. I have no money and I can't pay the electric bill this month and I can't get groceries and I need your help. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes getting to that point, like hitting rock bottom. Um, But while your parents are still aware enough of what's going on, it's really hard sometimes to step in if they are resisting your efforts. Clearly, you know, in the middle and later stages of Alzheimer's where they really lose a lot more awareness of what's going on. It's a lot easier to get involved. It's that early stage when they're spending that money and making those bad decisions where you really need to be involved, but you have to tread lightly and be careful. Lightly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And we're living in a world now where I think, you know, if if you have you know either a, a home with you know f- four hundred or five hundred thousand dollars in equity or a bank account with four or five hundred thousand dollars in it, you think I'm good, you know, and not realizing that within three years that's gone if you are need care. Yeah, and it's you know what I mean. Other than just having more money, <laughs> what can we do to protect ourselves? I know my dad had long term care, and that that industry has changed. He had long-term care for life and he paid into it forever. And all of a sudden they said, you don't have it for life anymore. It's now limited to $144,000. That's it. And once that's gone, it's gone. And he thought he was set for life. Now, fortunately, he got through until he passed, but he was, he would, he did okay financially because the, you know, it paid like a certain amount, like it paid like $2,900 a month towards his care, which did not cover it. But that industry has changed so much. So how do we protect ourselves other than just having enough money? (laughs) (laughs) It is. It all comes down to money, right? Because it's so expensive. I mean, just like a really quick primer on long-term care insurance. So what you're talking about, Don, there was a time when you could get a long-term care insurance policy and and it would cover you for life. But what happened is the insurers found themselves in a re- in really dire financial straits because so many people were, you know, relying on those policies and they couldn't afford to keep paying out. And so now it's limited. Typically, if you get a long-term care insurance policy, you know, you get coverage for maybe three years or maybe five years. Or if you're a couple, you can get a shared benefit policy where you get a pool of years. Eight is pretty typical. So, you know, if the wife uses all eight years worth of coverage, husband's left with nothing, you know, or maybe, you know, she uses four, he uses four. That's 
that's one option, certainly, and it's not cheap. I mean, if you're in your like early 50s and you're in good health, you could get a shared benefit policy that's going to provide you with those eight years worth of coverage for around maybe $300 a month. Not cheap, but mm-hmm. it's a lot cheaper than $4,000, $5,000, $6,000 a month for a room in an assisted living facility. Um, home equity. If you own your home or you have a lot of equity, you can use a reverse mortgage to get cash out of your house and pay for care. Medicaid, if you have nothing, but that will typically only pay for care in home by a professional caregiver. Sometimes you can get reimbursed if you are a family caregiver or nursing home. It typically does not cover assisted living or memory care. And, you know, I'm sure as you know, Susie, I mean, your mom's, you know, it's been 15 years for my mom, it's been 12 years and she hasn't needed nursing home care. Mm. It's just the memory care has been sufficient. And so, you know, there can be a very long period of time when you don't even really qualify medically for nursing home care. And so even if you can qualify for Medicaid, that might not be the right type of care for you. Um, That's why so many people rely on family caregivers to provide that care because it is, it's so expensive. I mean, I had to be strategic. My mother did not have long-term care insurance. It wasn't for a lack of trying. I encouraged her to look into a policy, but she had another pre-existing condition and couldn't get it. And so she did own her house. And so we sold her house. She lived with me for a while. And that meant I could care for her some of the time and I could use money from the sale of her house to hire caregivers during the day while I worked. She had some retirement savings. She had some cash. Fortunately, my mother had an inheritance, but how many people have an inheritance? No. Right. So that's, that's what we're using now to pay for her care right. in a memory care facility. And there's also other things like I know that um, I wasn't aware of, um, I think you told me, Don, when a wife, a spouse of, of someone who's, who has um, served. Who was a veteran. Yes. Right. Yes. There's all, there's, there's different things that are, there's, there's opportunities to, to, you know, supplement, but but it's not a lot. You wouldn't know it though. Like (laughs) I, I wouldn't have known that it, you know, unless Don would have told me. Yes. So there are, if you, if your spouse was a veteran and you can, you know, there, there is assistance for veterans and. Um, that's certainly something you should look into. If you or your spouse was a veteran, there is money for you potentially for help with long-term care. Um, You know, this is another benefit of having those conversations because you can create a plan. You can look at what sort of assets you have and figure out, okay, how long is this money going to last? And when do we have to start dipping into this pool of money? And when do we have to get the kids to like create a plan to divide their time to care for mom and dad? If you're doing it on the fly, you have fewer options. And so, I mean, I had to be really strategic with my mom's money. And so, you know, even if you can afford to meet with a financial planner, it's a great idea. Send your parents in to meet with a planner. You go, maybe your parents don't have a lot of money, but you're doing okay. So you talk to your siblings and say, let's pitch in and get long-term care insurance for mom and dad so that we know that at least a few years of their care will be covered if something happens. Right. And yeah, maybe you're spending $300 a month on it, but you're not having to quit work so that you can care for mom. That's super important. That's super important. Yeah. Did you have siblings as well or? 
I do. I have a sister, but she lives several states away. So mm -hmm. she hasn't been able to provide hands-on care. So I've managed my mom's, you know, care and her finances. Gotcha. Now my sister did just move closer. And so she's here now to help. My mom is still alive. She is in a memory care facility. Um, and gosh, every day I'm so thankful that there are the funds to pay for that because she gets round the clock professional care, care that I don't think I would have been able to, to provide for her as a mom of three kids and as a working mom. No, it's, it's, you can't, I mean, this is the problem about, you know, dementia and, and like your mom and my mom, it's a very long exit. Cameron, you mentioned something a little while back, and I think it's something that uh, was one of the solution, possible solutions, which was reverse mortgage. And I know it's very, you know, it's very individualistic depending on your situation. Uh, and usually the kids don't like it because that means less inheritance when the house has to be, you know, but is that something in general you recommend or it really just depends on the person's situation? I would say this is kind of a, option of like a last resort option because reverse mortgages are complicated there are fees associated with it i mean there's you know government you know has issued warnings about reverse mortgages oftentimes because older adults were preyed upon and um you know if unless you you know are working with someone who's very honest and forthright with you and explains to you in terms you understand what you're really getting into, you know, you might find yourself having made a mistake um, with that reverse mortgage, but, um, you know, it's an option. I mean, you've got to have a lot of equity in your house in order to qualify. You have to be a certain age and you're right. I mean, you're, you're essentially borrowing money from your house. And so, Earn interest is applied to that money that you're taking out of your house, but you don't have to pay it back like you would with a with a mortgage. Um, but when you sell the house, when the parent is you know has moved to an assisted living facility or the parent passes away, there's usually no equity left in that right. house, and so right. you're not going to get anything out of it. Right. I'm going to ask it, a stupid it, it, question. I just don't because I don't. I I mean I've done second mortgages when I owned my own home. You know during a bad time and and what is the difference when you do when you you know take out a second on a on your home as opposed to a reverse mortgage well you could do that you could get a home equity line of credit mm -hmm. and um but it's it's limited so that that second mortgage you're not going to have as much access to the equity as opposed to the reverse mortgage. So, I mean, but it's an option, you know, it's certainly, this is the thing too. If you can meet with a financial planner and I know a lot of people might think, well, that's something only rich people do. Well, there are financial planners who charge by the hour. And so you can spend a few hours meeting with a financial planner who can help you come up with a plan and look right. at all your assets, your parents' assets and say, you know what, these are going to be the best options for you. Yeah. Maybe that that second mortgage, that home equity line of credit is going to be a good option for you. Maybe the reverse mortgage is a good option for you. Maybe you've already got this permanent life insurance policy that has cash value in it, and you can borrow from that cash value in your life insurance policy. Actually, you can sell your life insurance policy through a process called a life settlement. And so if you have a terminal disease, a chronic disease, such as Alzheimer's, 
you can sell that life insurance policy and get more than the cash value. Wow. That's good. It's an option. It's an option. There are lots of options out there. And the more time you spend looking into those options and planning and maybe meeting with the professional, the better off you're going to be. You don't have to scramble and say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We have no way to pay for this. No, a hundred percent. That's what you really need. This is so, it's so vital. What is, what, what do you recommend? I mean, I am between, I mean, do you think that living trusts are better to have for your parents? I mean, or is that, or is it easier? Is a will easier or? It depends. I mean, certainly there are, like you can set up a living trust for someone who has Alzheimer's, dementia, they do it for kids, you know, parents of special needs children so that you can ensure that there's money there. So what you're doing is when you have that living trust, you're taking the assets out of the person's name. It's something that you do while you're still alive. So you have to transfer all of the assets legally. The house is no longer in your parents' name. It's now essentially signed over to the trust. Um, there are there are benefits to doing this, especially if you want to do what's called Medicaid planning to, if you have enough foresight, you can essentially shift your assets, put it into a trust or other ways you can do it too, where that it looks like you have very limited assets so that you could qualify for Medicaid. But it takes planning because there's a five, typically a five-year look back period where the government's going to look back and see if you have transferred assets, if you've gifted away your money, you've put it into a trust. So meet with an attorney, an elder law attorney, or an estate planning attorney, but really an elder law attorney is going to be best because they can help you do this sort of planning. They can help you set up the trust. They can help you do the Medicaid planning. Um, And, you know, there are people who want to do that. They want to leave an an inheritance for their kids. They don't want to have to spend all their money on long-term care. So they gift those assets. They transfer the assets. They put it in the trust so that there's money there left for the kids when they pass away and they right. rely on Medicaid instead. Yeah. It's also with the, even the, uh, the, we were talking about that veterans aid program. You have to, you can't have a certain amount of funds or they're just like, no, you don't qualify. You have to have limited funds. Right. And so that might be a way to help to get that, that benefit by, by doing what you just spoke of. So uh, yeah, there's, there's, it's complicated. It's, uh, that's probably why you wrote your book. <laughs> mom oh and God. dad we need to talk how to have an essential conversation with your parents about their finances no you book. have to do this this book is so so important honestly like i i it's like you know when you're pregnant and you have what to, what to expect when you're expecting yes this, this is the same version only when you're with aging parents you have to have this book i'm telling you go get it run get it now because you don't want to go through what i went through it's so stressful and it's so it's so unnecessary to have gone through all that stress, you know. And and if I was, you know, if I wasn't Pollyanna and thought my mom was going to be forever my mom, you know, I've learned. So let me be a cautionary tale for you, and you know, get this book because it's I, I it's going to save you so much heartache and so much money. And- Where can people get this book? <laughs> Amazon, Barnes yeah. and Noble, uh, your independent bookseller might carry it to, um, you can go to my website, CameronHuddleston.com, and I've got links to the book. I have some free resources that people can download. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there, it's available. 
And um, I do, because I'm a journalist and I am not a, um, you know, I try to put it in very simple terms and then explain everything in a way that anyone can understand. You do not have to be a financial expert to read this book. I've got, but I do quote a lot of experts. I've, I talk to attorneys. I talk to elder care professionals. I talk to mm-hmm. financial psychologists. Um, yeah. And I talk to real people who- Wait, did you, know, you say financial psychologists? Yes, financial oh psychologists. That's, I interviewed two. What? I never heard of such I a- I need one. I don't know why, but I think I need <laughs> I one. I think I need one too. Let's do it together, Don. <laughs> <laughs> we can split the cost. <laughs> yeah. We're done. Look at that. We're already healed. We're already planning. <laughs> well, I mean, but, you know, you've already impacted us. <laughs> it's funny. We think about money as just, you know, numbers, dollars and cents, but it's not. It is, there are so many emotions tied to money. And that's why these conversations are so difficult because there's so many emotions wrapped up in it. Your parents think it's taboo or they're embarrassed because they didn't oh, manage yeah. their money well, or it's the role reversal, or they're just, there's, there's so many emotions tied up into money. And that's why it's hard for us to talk about it. You know, I gave my mother a credit card that was canceled. So she had that gold card. And she was, it was like, as long as she had that gold card, she was happy because she goes, come on, I'll take you to lunch. Let's yeah, go. She never tried to use it, but she just had it. She it would forget that she had it. Yeah. But as long as she, she'd go through her purse and go, it, go oh, okay, it's there. Oh, here it is. Got <laughs> but it. But then she was always with somebody, a caregiver or yeah. Susie or whatever. So you, she would never try to, to use it, but, but it, it made the her feel. of having it in her wallet. Because yeah. if she's in a quiet moment and she's looking in her wallet and that's not there, it's going to trigger her. So why not? you know, make, you know, put something there and, and, you know, you can avoid those kinds of anxieties. I also kept a checkbook in there and this is here. I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw all my, my personal life out there. (laughs) The funniest thing is like my mom got agitated one afternoon and she goes, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going home, you know, which is what a lot of people with Alzheimer's say. I'm going home. See you later. They're, you know, they don't even know where home is at that point. (laughs) My mother got out her checkbook and she wrote me a check for a hundred dollars. And then the memo wrote, have a nice life. (laughs) (laughs) And damn, if she didn't cash it. (laughs) Tried, but God damn it. I forgot. I nothing in there. (laughs) I still saved that check because I love it so much. It's just, it's so adorable and so, you know, but those are the things that, that we can do to keep their dignity at that point, you know, and, and I, and that's important. It is. I love that. I love that trick with the credit card because sometimes you have to do things like that. Like you said, I, I mean, it, yeah, it, I mean, you, it gave your mom a sense of security and sometimes totally. you just had to figure out what works. And if it's the cancel credit card or the, the checkbook or whatever, um, Whatever you can do to allow them to, yes, maintain that sense of dignity, let them feel like they are still in control while you are there watching over their shoulder, making sure that they're okay. Right. And and that would be at a much more advanced stage too, when you're under basically 24 hour, you know, care where they're not going out to the store and trying to pass that goal. But it is that it's that it's that stage, which is so tricky because they're, you know, they're right on that bridge. So they're still, they can, you know, if you didn't know them, they come up normal. Everything's fine. You wouldn't think they had any, any cognitive issues. So that is such that that's the tricky part as a caregiver and, uh, and also for the patient, your loved one, because, you know, 
they are fighting it tooth and nail. And that's the hardest part. I think that early stage when they're still aware of what's going on, but their memory is slipping away and you're watching them do things that are dangerous or could get them in trouble financially and you want to protect them, but they don't want you getting involved because they still feel like they're in enough control. And that, that stage I think is really hard. Like that's where, that's where the fights occur. You know, later you, you run into a lot of other issues down the road. Some, you know, it's, it doesn't get easier by any means, but it's a bit like the opposite of your kids. It's like that early stage in Alzheimer's is like a teenager. They think that they are grown up enough and they can make decisions, but you know, they're not. Exactly. And then they regress down to the like infant and toddler level. But I yep. say it's like Benjamin Button. I say my mom <laughs> was like Benjamin Button, you know, and, and there was that point where I became mommy, you know, and you know it, you know it. And, mm-hmm. and it's actually better because you know that you've taken that, that they know it too, and they're okay with it. Yes. Cameron, thank you so much. You are, first of all, you're a delight and you are um, just, you're a great daughter. The book is Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. I and love the author, is, so the author is Cameron Huddleston. And remember, love is powerful, love is contagious, and love conquers all. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Bye.